Welcome to another interview for Radio Level 5. Today um, we do a talk with Caroline Kromiak mm -hmm. in Level 5, an artist. Hello. Hi. <laughs> and uh, we, that is uh, Bas Blase and Olaf Winkler, that's me. Hi. And we will learn a bit about your work. Mm -hmm. And maybe because it uh, turned out to be quite useful to describe a piece of work of yours, first of all, to get an impression a tiny bit. You had, uh, not very long ago, uh, maybe I have to say this, I don't want to introduce you as a photographer, as a digital worker, as whatever, because you're using quite different kinds of things to, yeah, to deliver your kind of artistic work, and maybe it's part of what you want to talk about, or what we want to talk about, and how you describe it. So. Um, uh, not very long ago you had an uh, installation, mm -hmm. an exhibition, which yep. was actually an ins uh, installation and exhibition in Germany, in Bochum. Mm -hmm. In Bochum. <laughs> and uh, not far from where I'm from, actually. <laughs> and maybe you want to describe that a tiny bit, what it was or what the title was, and then we will listen to a sound piece, if I understood mm -hmm. you correctly. And then we can talk from there, but just a short introduction maybe before we to hear something. Okay, um, so I always like to prefer to the installation, uh, to refer to the installation as like uh, some kind of landscape, because I think that was mainly what I tried to do there, to bring some elements, like four to five elements that um, I created or we created, because uh, there were a lot of people, like two or three people that helped me um, creating this piece, so we had four to five elements and then we took them to Rotstrasse 5, which is like an exhibition space, an off space in Bochum, um, which has quite a particular form. It's like this half circle shaped, big industrial, um, how do you say it, like a lots, a silo, underneath the railway station. And it was really exciting to go there and install everything because I didn't see uh, the installation before. It's uh, in situ, so I had to be there and build everything up to actually see what the installation or the landscape would look like. Mm, we had a big sort of lake filled with black water. I think it was six, six meters to four meters, like a big geometrical shape. Then there was an artificial sun that we've created, which was beamed onto the wall. And the reflection was seen inside uh, the black lake and the black water. Then there was a sound piece, which um, we already listened to, or will listen to. <laughs> and then there, um, there were some other elements, like, I don't know how to describe it, like some sort of ropes uh, that we've dyed that are hanging from the ceiling and going into the lake. And in the lake, there were also some black stones. Um, and then, so that were like the visual and the auditive elements. But I also tried to work with um, like more bodily sensations. So um, it was really hot inside the uh, really hot inside the installation. So that the hotness sort of was corresponding towards the artificial sun. And then I also worked with smell for the first time. So there was this really weird natural tree-like, forest-like uh, smell that was also hanging in the uh, in the exhibition space. Voila, so it was these five or six elements that sort of created a dynamic in the exhibition space. And 
the soundscape was a big big part of it so yeah <laughs> and the the sound piece that we will be listening now to is mm. uh, it's like six minutes approximately yeah it's six or seven minutes yeah was that repetitive or how did it work or is it just a part of it because the exhibition was i guess even though it's corona it's a bit difficult but you could just go there like in a museum like a normal installation right or yeah you could walk into it um so the sound piece uh it was looping just like the um the video image uh, the digital image was also looping but in these six minutes, we tried to put uh, different elements in there because um, I really wanted it to, to turn out to be like a landscape. And if you're like, you're sitting in a landscape, you're in a forest at night or you're in a desert or whatever landscape you can imagine, then the, the sounds that you hear, they're like not static. It's not like a loop of 30 seconds because if it would be like that, then the illusion would be, I think um, it wouldn't work. So that's why we opted to go for six minutes because we I thought that like people will mostly stay inside like six to 15 minutes. And it turned out actually they stayed longer, which was really nice. Um, but for last six minutes was like the first, um, we thought it was a good amount of time to loop it because then you wouldn't be aware of the loop. Maybe we listen to it now. Yeah. <laughs>
yeah, thank you very much. Mm. Uh, it was really nice. And um, it's always interesting to mix in a talk um, acoustic things mm. with talk about visual things that we can't see. <laughs> but in this case, it would also be interesting to get to know still more about the, the acoustic piece, actually. How did it come into being? Um, how did you plan it? How was it made, actually? And who made it? You didn't do it alone. No, no, I didn't do it alone because, um, I mean, the installation was quite a big uh, project. It was quite an ambitious project, so it was really important for me to work with different people that are better in the stuff that they are doing than I am at. So for this one, I worked with, uh, with Joran. And he, um, we gathered uh, the audio, I think, somewhat collectively, but then he managed to like really blend it in together and make it into to a sound piece. So these are field recordings? Yes, it's a mix of uh, field recordings that we uh, made ourselves and then field recordings that we found online. And then I think he also like, um, he has like this modular synth. I think he also created some um, of the of the sound pieces himself i'm not actually sure <laughs> which was i mean he, he really went into the audio and voila so he's the expert in this case yeah but then we for instance we made one field recording um, in a forest at night because we um it was really important that like in this landscape context in this installation context that it would seem like it's like how to say it, like a real landscape and then a real landscape stuff is happening and you hear something over there, then you hear something coming from the other side. So it needed to be um, organic. It needed to change also. It was important that it was not the same sound for the, the whole time. And then we also, um, for example, like online, we found some audio samples of uh, how the wind, uh, a field recording of the wind in a desert. And this one really worked well on the installation, I think, because in this recording you sort of, you can feel the heat. And then it became a really interesting um, contrast when you have the fake sun that is pulsating. Then you have uh, this audio snippet of like the wind in which you can almost hear the sun burning. And then in the exhibition space, I also um, liked uh, the chauffage. We turned the heat up like to the fullest already, like four days before the opening, so. How warm was it in the end? Mm, I think if you like, you could walk with like a t-shirt inside and like outside you would have like your coat on and it would be a bit colder. So it was really interesting to, to have like this different um, temperature. And also, um, and this one I couldn't like predict, but because I had the lake there, like the Basset that was filled with water, there was like so much water there and then because the heat was also on for um, the whole period it also became like really humid mm -hmm. and there was a sort of humidity in the exhibition space and that was really cool and I didn't uh, knew that this would happen but uh, yeah it was really nice to have like this ex extra element there. How long did the exhibition run? It ran for two weeks. And you yeah. never opened any windows I suppose. No, no, there, there, there aren't there are any no windows, windows in there, <laughs> so we couldn't open them. And it also needed to be like dark for the, um, so you would have the projection and you would see it, yeah. Just, uh, just a question about the sound piece. How present was it in the exhibition? So was it like a background noise that you would be aware of if you would like pay attention to it? Or was it more like 
very present as more like a music piece? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, I think um, because of the way we build up the exhibition and the way that visitors could come in, I think it started out as something that was not really present, but you would hear it the whole time. And um, how to say this, like we were really afraid in the beginning that when people would go into to the exhibition space, I mean, you go in, you are there with your friends or with your colleagues and you walk around a bit and then you talk with one another. And I had this fear that like the sound would become um, that it wouldn't get enough attention. So we actually d decided that uh, during the opening and also later that you could also you can you could only go in like one person at a time. Which was really nice because then you had like this line of people waiting to go in. You had this like sense of mystery, which was really cool. And then when people were inside, because you are there alone and you cannot talk to someone else, I think the audio became more and more important the longer that you were in. Because I can imagine you come in and then you see all these different elements. It's also, I mean, it's like a huge space, so it's quite like... Um, How big, like, the pro what are we talking about here? Um, like the pool was... And this way it was six meters and I think you could fit it in like two or three times. So I think 14 meters like this and then five or six like this. And it was also really huge. Okay, so it's, it's something like a tunnel. Yeah, something like a tunnel, exactly. You can look at it like that. And then when people go in, I mean, first I can imagine you look because it's like the sense that you use, um, it's the most dominant sense. So you look at everything I can imagine people also like you take some photos and then you walk around. And what I was hoping for was that then when you would take photos and you would walk around that you sort of um, become a bit more relaxed. And then when you become relaxed, I think there's also more like mental space to really experience the audio. So I'm guessing it's like really important, but not like in a in your face um, way. Voila. It sounds like it's site-specific in a certain sense because it didn't have windows you said so there was mm -hmm. no connection to the outside no um, do you have the feeling that you would have done something totally different if it would have been like a gallery space or whatever that has more connection to the street because it's like a it sounds like the construction of a very artificial landscape and playing mm -hmm. with the illusion also that is coming along with it mm, that's a good question yeah because now um I mean, we decided like really late, just before the opening, that we would uh, only let one person in and then we also hang some like black stuff for the door. So you really had like this uh, hallway going into. But it's an interesting question because if you would see it from the outside, um, yeah, I think that then you would have two experiences of the work. First, you would have the experience that you look through the window. So you would see it um, as in a screen which can also be really nice because then I would install it in a way that it's almost like a photograph. So you would see it from the outside and it would like this really nice aesthetical thing that you are looking at. And then when you would go inside, you would have the sound and the heat and the smell. So I think then it would have two uh, modes of experiencing it. And the yeah. look outside? I mean, when you're inside and you look through the window outside into the real city or landscape or whatever, mm, that true. would probably change a lot of the true. of the experience. But there was actually more the, the question that I would have. I, ah, okay, yeah, I, I didn't. I could imagine that it would even yeah. disturb you a bit in your... Yeah, I don't think it would be, I don't think I would like it, but I would, 
I guess I would try to work with it and maybe like put this black foil on the window, on the windows because you need like a darkened space for the projection to really function. So then we could put like these dark, um, like an Argos, you also have it upstairs that they have like the darkened windows. And then I think it could be a nice element because it gives you, uh, like the environment becomes a bit strange and you feel a bit isolated and you have the feeling that it's like in the evening, even though it's during the day. So maybe in this way it could work when you look outside and see the city and it looks different than how you remember it when you were outside. So maybe like this it would work, but I would have to see it to, to, to be sure. Had you, uh, did you visit the place before you, uh you installed the work? Did you know the place before? Yeah, yeah I went before because um, like uh, the curator, Roman, he actually um, found the space and then I went to Bochum and we looked at it together. But this was already like, I don't know, a year ago because normally the show would have opened in April, but then because of COVID it couldn't uh, happen. And then it happened like uh, at the beginning of October, but I al already went to look at it like, I think a year ago in October, which was also a bit nice and strange because you're working on something and then I mean you change and your environment changes and so I had the feeling it's it's a project that really like grew the more time that it took to make it um yeah which is nice <laughs> so but to come back to your question yeah I saw the space before the the, the question is looking inside outside is one thing that is directly concerning the experience of the space mm. the other thing is that it has something to do with your work I could believe and um, that is that to me it seems that you are always working with kinds of layerings mm. and distortions caused by layerings mm -hmm. so in the sense of your um, I remember that we talked about um, your digital glitching and rearranging mm. things so um, you seem to quite often work on something which you rework again mm -hmm. so you change it by working on it putting layerings on there Mm -hmm. And uh, well, my question was mainly that in my head I was having this idea that looking outside and inside it can be totally disturbing. But on the other hand, it's also bringing together two worlds of experience by layering them on top. True. So, uh, which is quite nice because mm -hmm. it, it changes both experiences, of course. And yeah, it's true. Yeah, it, it needs to be. I think it's important that it's balanced. And now, when you when you're, you're describing this, it feels like this huge. Um, disruptor into the into the work and into the installation but then again like you just said it's nice to work with disruptors and it's nice to layer them so yeah I'm not I, I don't have like an immediate answer on how I would work mm. with it because then I would need more time to think about it and see it and experience it yeah to not talk about the stuff which wasn't there the view outside but the <laughs> stuff that was there did you talk to people afterwards? Because it was the first time that you you, you worked with uh, smell also, you said, mm. and, and this stuff. Did, do you have some experience on that, how it worked? And did it go the way you wanted it? Did the people actually experience it? I think there's a lot of things also happening unconsciously, maybe, mm -hmm. when you experience Yeah, yeah, like I, I talked with, with quite a lot of people when they came outside. And um, yeah, it was really nice, actually, to hear how they experienced it, because it was uh, so different for many people, which was um, like, I remember one thing, because I had like um, one thing that I found really remarkable. I had like these ropes hanging uh, from the ceiling into the into the lake. And for me, they were sort of like plant-like. Um, they reminded me of like, uh, 
I don't know what to say it in English, like the liana that you have in like a, like a jungle. Um, and I actually dyed them with like uh, this natural stuff and I did it together with Stephanie in the studio. So for me, it was really important that there would also be this like real natural aspect that I would really work with like the natural dyes and make them like look orange naturally. And then you would also have the artificial orange light of the sun, like a light source showing you these, these ropes. And then for me, the tension really consisted out of the fact that like the fake plants would have been made by real plant-like material. So this was interesting for me. And for me, I only had like this way of looking at it, like, okay, you have these liana and they're hanging in the water. Voila, this is um, how, it's, how I saw it. And then like, I remember one woman coming out and she like said exactly the same that how I experienced it. She was like, yeah, it reminds me of these plants and this jungle. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really nice to hear. And then uh, like half an hour later, like uh, a man came out and then he told me like, yeah, these, these electrical wires that you have hanging there for me, they were like really the most artificial thing about the whole piece. And it was so funny <laughs> to hear him say this because it's like the most natural <laughs> thing that's hanging in like the, the whole space. And for me, it was really like, it looked so organic. And then he was like, yeah, I was not sure if it was a part of the installation because I mean, it's an old space, maybe some people left it hanging and you forgot to take it away. <laughs> and so this was really nice to hear that people have these different ways, like because you look at something from your own memory and your own like frame of reference and he saw something completely different in it, which was nice. And then what other experiences? Yeah, there were also some children that went in and they were like afraid of the, of the sound, which was, yeah. And then I remember one, like a friend of mine went in and she, uh, you have like the pool with the black water and then the reflection of the sun uh, on it. And she thought it was <laughs> that I built something that was made to be, uh, to take a seat on. So she <laughs> her first reaction was to like go go and sit on it, but then she like, felt it first with her hand and she noticed that it was water and then she decided not to do it. But that I think was also really funny that she, because of the, like um, I put some ink in the water that it became black, but also because it was already, the pool was made with like these black um, inlay. Then we filled it with water and then I put some ecolina and some ink in the water that it was really black. And then because you have like the reflection of the, of the projection, it became really strange. Like you, you didn't know what you were looking at. And but I didn't expect that people would actually not see that it was water. So that was really, uh, that was cool. <laughs> I, uh, the, the children make me think of a, of a question about how, what kind of uh, atmosphere you created. I see some pictures here on the wall and we will talk about it later probably. Um, and they're uh, also dark. <laughs> and, uh, the whole situation you describe uh, seems dark and black, and the children were afraid. And <laughs> it gives me <laughs> also the idea that it n maybe was sort of dystopic um, experience you might uh, might have there with the heat, mm. the organic materials turning into something very artificial, um, which maybe also relates to today's uh, ecological and environmental mm. situation and the fact that you go in there alone mm. which is you're sort of it's a deserted place it's a sort of a mysterious place mm -hmm. how is this something you are interested in in, in 
Or do I read this totally wrong? It wasn't a very happy place to be in. No, I think you're reading it um, correctly, um, at least for like, like a part of it, because it is quite, um, it's sure it's quite dark. And I think like the ecological aspect that you're referring to, it's kind of in there, but it's not like, um, I think it's a part of it, it's a bit hidden. But I mean, of course, yeah, you have a black lake, you have a burning sun, of course, like you have these these kind of references come to mind, um, and it can be a bit dystopic, I think. But then, in the same moment, which I always try to do when I make these these landscapes of these or these installations, it can also be quite comforting and quite meditative to go in there and to walk around and have a look at it, sit down, experience it. Um, like another person that went in, she compared it to like um, to like a religious place. She said like, yeah, when I go to like when she goes to church or something like that, she said it reminded her of the same kind of experience because there was like just time to sit and to reflect and to be alone with yourself. So I think it really plays with this in between being maybe kind of dystopic, but at the same time being really safe and comforting and. I mean, yeah, because it was hot, but it's also nice when you're like in a hot place. And I think I also really try to not make this pessimistic negative things, but to also see it as like a place where you can just be alone and reflect. And I mean, and it's also not something that happens quite a lot that you go into a place and you sit there for like 15 minutes alone, experiencing everything. But it can be quite um, cleansing, I think. If, um we keep balancing between dystopia and utopia or whatever <laughs> in that sense. How important is the uh, question of artificial construction or the use of artificial elements versus natural elements? Because you just talked about the fact that uh, Stephanie, she's using a lot of natural dye mm -hmm. and, um, and you quite consciously, or it sounds like it used that for these ropes or mm -hmm. plant-like elements. Is that important that you're playing with these balances or are you, are you just taking what is most uh, useful for a certain mm. creation? Or yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think you always use what is uh, useful for a certain work that you're making. But having said that, for me, I think it's really, really important to be to create like these fields of tension. And for me, like the most important field of tension that I work with myself is like this in between something natural and organic and something digital and artificial. Although now I'm placing them like they are like the opposites of each other, which is not always true, but I do really love to play with these, these two things. Um, because then you have like, I don't know, like when you have a landscape, there is not a lot of like real nature left. Like also the most of nature that you see is being put there artificially and when you're walking in a park and you still hear the cars coming from outside the park. Um, yeah, I sort of, yeah, I like the tension that you can create yourself if you take these elements like really consciously and you're aware of it and then you place them together. So yeah, for me, it's important to like w work with both of them. Yeah, because that's actually what, what the question was heading at. Uh, apart from the fact that we hear this knocking in the background, and <laughs> I was just wondering if the recording uh, could uh, just give the illusion that there's a woodpecker in this. 
but unfortunately it doesn't sound like one. <laughs> um, how important is this balancing between artificial and natural? And you just said it that the, the landscapes that we encounter in our everyday life, they are not like natural landscapes anymore anyways. Mm. Um, how important are these decisions, this balancing, etc., maybe for a notion of um, the question of reality in the sense of that if something is re real or constructed. Mm. Um, if you go to a theater, for example, and this is like a theater-like situation that you lead people to, it is a presentation or representation of a space, but it's not the space itself. Mm -hmm. I mean if you see Romeo and Juliet in the garden or whatever, it's just like the image of something and the repetition of the space, but it's not the space itself. But then on the other hand, if you're coming from a perception of space and landscape around us, a um, landscape which is by definition already quite artificial, mm -hmm. maybe this difference, maybe you're just creating one more space in the city and not the image of I'm not sure if it's clear what I mean. It's it's a difference if you if you're just like focusing or rip if you're creating something which is like a comment, like an artificial space repeating parts of the city or you are adding to the city by it because it's for you it's the same maybe. Hmm. So the difference between Adding or How real is the space? Is it an artificial space or is it just another real space within a network of That's a really interesting question. Spaces? I'm not sure for me. I, I mean, I, I refer to it as like a mythological space. Yeah. So I think it's something that can exist for like a short period of time. And in this short period of time, it is real because you walk in there and you're experiencing it. But it is like... It is not real at the same moment because it's like I created it and I took some elements and I put them there and I'm making this kind of illusion. But it is, it's at the same time, it's a really honest illusion because you see everything. There's nothing happening behind the screens. There, there's no puppet master that's arranging stuff. So I want to explain yeah. to you wha what I meant because it probably sounded very chaotic. But what I meant is that you are constructing artificially a space mm -hmm. which is playing with certain elements that we encounter in the city anyways. Mm -hmm. So I would always say it's an artificial space because it's an artwork which you can walk into mm -hmm. and that way it's also condensing certain elements. On the other hand, um, I was in a sauna in Cologne once and they have this sauna and they are playing constantly this really annoying natural sounds <laughs> like birds and all this stuff. <laughs> And I asked afterwards if they cannot simply turn it off because I'm not <laughs> in the nature. I'm in a, in a really in the center of Cologne. And they said, yeah, I understand and I don't like it either, she said, but most people, most clients of us want it. Really? And yeah, I was a bit surprised too. Oh. But what I mean is that spot was much more artificial and than the space that you create because mm -hmm. uh, it is by, by definition, it's already a bit dystopian to have it under this railway bridge in a, in mm -hmm. and so on so but maybe you you could then you, you maybe there's not uh, levels of artificiality but more like okay you have something artificial but most things you could actually see as artificial and there are things that represent things yeah. as mm. for example what you mentioned the sound in the sauna <laughs> or um i don't necessarily think all theater represents a different no, 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 kind no, of reality no, no. 
So, but that's a very good example, Asana. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and maybe that's also the question, like, are you representing something from the outside or, or are you creating some sort of new artificial, real kind of uh, universe? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's the second one because it's not trying to be something that's, it's not like when you're in the sauna and it's clear that you're in the city and that the sounds are fake, but people really crave these kind of sounds and they really want this kind, they want this like realness, this naturalness. But then for me, I always, I mean, I, I, I get really sad when I'm in these circumstances that you notice that you really want it, but it's not there. So you have like these fake, a substitute for it. I think it's oh, it's so. I think it's one of the saddest things that that. I mean, just go outside and listen to the birds. Don't do, have it in a sauna. So, I think this makes me really sad, and that's why I try to use the same method, but not with the intention of pretending to be this real thing. So for me, it's clear like this is like a mythological, artificial, alternative space. But there's more honesty for me in this space than there would be in the sauna. Yeah. Mm. I think another reason why I was heading in that direction is that um, uh, if that is okay, that we move a bit on to another work of yeah. yours, or sure. that we, we, we talked about it some, some month ago. Um, and maybe you have to describe it first, that you were working with images, which you, this digital glitching, maybe you have mm. to describe that a bit. And but I found it quite fascinating because it worked like a like a palimpsest. You had like an, mm. an image, and you were rewriting this image several times. And um, so you are creating something which is entirely artificial. It's not the image of something which you took anymore, mm. like at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But for me, that is very very real, and it's just mm. questioning this matter of notion of perception and so on. So mm -hmm. um, I'm actually I'm quite positive towards these things, but I would like to know what they mean for you in your artistic work. Mm, so yeah. maybe first you could describe this other work a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not sure if it's actually already like a work. For now, I think it's more like a method um, that I try to apply in like all the projects and all the works, um, but they mostly or they started at least from like um, digital images that I try to glitch in as many ways possible. Maybe you have to describe, what does glitch mean? Many people well, maybe don't know even the term. Okay, so for me, glitching, it's like, um, I always describe it with, for instance, you are working on your laptop and then suddenly a program stops working and there appears like this error on your screen and it's not what you wanted to see, it's not what you're aiming to see, but it's it can be like this really beautiful digital image and then you can take a photo of it or you can, make screen capture and then you have like you captured the glitch and then you have something that you were not aiming for to have but in the same way it's at the same moment it's like this really beautiful alternative image that like showed itself towards you so this method of glitching um, is something that I apply in all my 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 works and all my uh, my projects and I think it's more of like looking into errors or alternative ways of creating or, or alternative images that can show themselves. Um, and I'm actually now, because I, like the images that you were talking about, I created them with like um, layering, just like layering in Photoshop, different images on top of each other. And also like going into the code of these images and disrupting the, the code. 
so it would be all scrambled up inside itself and then a different image would show itself but all the information inside is still the same image so i'm not adding anything i'm just remixing what's already there yeah cutting and pasting within the code of the image exactly yeah and it's like nice because you're like working really blindly and it's also something that you do or i do at least you're sitting behind your laptop and you're scrolling and glitching and copying and pasting i don't know it's really soothing it's really like something you can do from home or from the studio it's really yeah it's an introverted way of working which i really like um so no no continue <laughs> so so that's that's actually i think like the main uh, definition of glitching that you encounter an error and instead of mm, ignoring it you try to um give it a platform and voila so i started out like that and now i'm trying to apply this methods into different techniques and different uh, fields. And could you uh, give examples of other methods? Because I, I have a friend who who um, who worked with the same principle of glitching, maybe okay. uh, one day. Uh, but she worked uh, with the sort of the 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 facade of the image. That is to say, she was in Photoshop and she had a very very old computer, mm. and she would just continue to. Um, import new images on top of each other until cool. the program literally um, made an error, couldn't handle it anymore. Nice. So glitches mm. uh, appeared. And then she took pictures, reused them again, etc. You, on the other hand, mm. work actually sort of on, on the background of, or the, uh, the other side, the flip side of the, the mm. image, yeah, which is like the program. And is this something like a method you use, or I don't know how. Uh, how you sort of extend the method of glitching? I'm curious. Yeah, I think it's more more because I actually like what you said about your friend. I also worked like that. I think I just try to um, use every kind of technology that's available to you and try to use it in a non-dominant way. Like try to use it not in the way that you're supposed to use it, not to work towards your goal, but really just to look at it differently and try to like mess it up, try to make it. Uh, yeah, just use it like you're not supposed to use it. That for me is like the the way of, of glitching. And I think it's really, um, I mean, of course you have like an aesthetical um, effect and an, an aesthetical result. But what maybe is more important for me is that like, it's kind of magical firstly to like have this ghost on the computer prepare, giving you something which is so cool and you, you have these results. But also I, I really believe that when you start looking differently at how you use your technology, how you use your resources, but that you can really train um, to look different at a lot of stuff and not always try to work goal-oriented goal and work in non-dominant ways. And I mean, I think it can spread out to like a lot of fields, like social fields, economical fields, artistic fields, to just look at things differently and see the potential that is laying in like these alternative sides of what you use. So for me, the glitch is more that it's aesthetical, but it's also like, yeah, how you look at things and how, and how you can create things. Do you free? Well, you said that maybe it's not a work, it's more like a process at the moment, but um, maybe you still have an idea already about this. Uh, we're talking about mainly images now. You could do it with sound as well or whatever mm -hmm. because it's a method that you can, as you said, apply to every kind of media or yeah, phenomenon. 
But if we stick to images, because I think that's what you mainly did, mm -hmm. um, do you have an idea of freezing them at a certain point and then let's say print out and, and present them? Mm. Or will they remain unstable? Because it's actually the unstableness is per, defin mm. per definition part of this process maybe or so. True. Yeah, it's true. You can take like one moment and then you can show it. But to be honest, I'm also getting um, like with the installation that I made in, in Bochum, because like a lot of elements came together in that installation. And I'm getting more and more like I'm finding it more I'm finding it more and more attractive to like really work with creating these landscapes and letting these glitches be a part of the landscape. So to give them like a function yet again, I'm not sure, but so I'm not sure if like like printing them and then showing them and making them like like, like, like grasping this one moment. It could be I could I think I could do it like that, but then they need to be implemented in something bigger. So I'm getting more and more, at, yeah, I want to create like experiences that you can walk into and that you can see and that are like overwhelming, like they're overwhelming and not just only have, have the image. So it could be that they are printed, but then it would be in function of the space, not just on itself. Yeah, I, I, I can entirely understand because it's funny, the way we talked about your work now, we started with a spatial installation mm. and now we are on a, on a level which is like, can be part of it, mm. but it would have rather surprised me if you would have said, yeah, and now I want to make like, I don't know, A4, A3, whatever, <laughs> printouts <laughs> or so, because, um, yeah, maybe they can be just like, be part or, mm -hmm. uh, I had the impression at the beginning, like a layer. Yeah, it's a layer of something. I mean, you can also like make them into video. You can bring movement into them. You can, I don't know, I uh, print them on like textile and then put water on it. So like you see it throughout the water. I'm, I'm more of like thinking in these in these ways too, because I do find it really interesting if you have like these digital images, how can you bring them back into being something physical? And I think like there's a lot of potential happening there, like. There were so many ways and so many techniques and which techniques are interesting for which project and will I do them myself or will people help me? Because, yeah, so, so there was a lot of stuff that can happen there. How important was this working together with the people, in fact? It was really nice, actually. I, I never did it like this before. And I don't know, for me, it was really this new way of um, layering because you also then you also gather like the expertise of these people and you talk with them you connect with them you they become really like an invaluable asset which which is so so cool but it was also the first time that i worked in such a on such a big and ambitious project and that i really knew like okay i want to do this but i cannot do this and you are good at it so how can we do this together because I do prefer to work in this kind of brut brutalist way because I use a lot of, of media. I work with photography, with video, with digital images, with sculpture. Now I'm trying to draw, make drawings, <laughs> which I'm not so good at, but I think it will become something. So, but the thing is that I'm not a master of any of these things. I, maybe photography I'm quite good at. I mean, like, I'm good, like in, in a technical way, but all the rest, I'm, I'm just trying to do something. And then with this installation, it became clear like, okay, it's too big 
to do everything yourself you need some expertise that it's like really uh, precise and really like well balanced and then you can be more like the the overall director of the whole the whole atmosphere so yeah, and that way it was really important for me because i was not able myself to make natural dyes like Stephanie did. I would not have been able to make an audio piece that was so good as the way Joran did it. And then Arno made um, the digital image, which if I would have done it, I would first have to learn the technique and needed to master the technique. And I don't know, then it would have took me three years to make this project. So for me, it was really important to work with them and also just talk with them about the project. And then they become such an important part of it themselves because they would give feedback and, and yeah, it's, I think, my preferred way of working from now on. Can you, um, there is some things here lying around <laughs> between us and, and on the wall that no one at home can, uh, can, uh, can see, but um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what we see and what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, um, <laughs> there are a lot of things happening here. It's sort of all over the place, but... For example, on the ground, uh, there is a, a black mirroring square with a... Uh, with a lot rocks, of dust on it. <laughs> with a lot of dust on it, some rocks on it, um, <laughs> some clay, perhaps, I don't know. Ah, what do you think is clay, the big one? Yeah? I don't know. You found it. Yeah, yeah, I found it in uh, the Dudenpark. Yeah. That's a rock that I took from there. Like, all the rocks are from Dudenpark, I think. Yeah, it's like, um, I was really interested in... Um, like really inspired by the books of uh, Silvia Federici. And she writes about um, activism and feminism and witches and the witch hunt and like the hunt on, on, on women. And then there was also like this concept of like the witch circle. I was just thinking about that, but it's also because I read on your website that uh, you worked on that topic before because these, to describe it entirely then, that you only you have one big one mm -hmm. of these rocks and then you have six, I believe, Mm -hmm. yeah, around them in a circle. Mm -hmm. If, uh, yeah, I yeah, was thinking about this witch circles. Ah, but that's good that it's like yeah. you, because that you read the text and then you already make like the, the link with it, which is nice to hear. Yeah, I, I try to make like witch circles, but it's like, yeah, I'm not sure what they will become or how I will use them, but I was mostly inspired by like these circles that, that are left over. And it's like you have it in folklore, but you also have it in like um, the, how do you say it, the palestula? The mushrooms. The mushrooms, yeah. they grow also like this in circles. So it's also a term that we use in like uh, the Netherlands and Belgium. Um, so yeah, I, when I was walking in the park, I, w I was collecting rocks that I thought were like interesting and an interesting shape. And then like the small ones I put in a circle and I coated them with this... Um, uh, it's like this pigment, like the stuff that they use on uh, on highways. You have like the white markings and they really reflect um, your light. And so I bought this uh, pigment online and then I coated them in the pigment. So when you take like a photo of it, it's like this shield of light that's reflecting back to you. Um, yeah, but it's, it's funny, they, they look very artificial, those stones there. Yes, do they? Uh, th that's what I was aiming, trying to do. Okay, well, that worked. For me, it cool. works. <laughs> yeah, at least the one in the middle does, because it really looks like something which is indeed made out of clay or so. Yeah, but, ah, but that's a real one. I no, but the other ones also, because they're very gray, and that's probably the yeah, pigment. Yeah, that's the pigment. Uh, but a little bit too gray to be found somewhere <laughs> in the park. Yeah, yeah, it's like this, uh, true. Yeah, the color is too artificial. Yeah, it's... Um, 
like I just I collect all these things like when I'm reading and I'm walking and I'm listening and then I'm collecting a lot of stuff and I have a lot of rocks now laying around maybe a bit too much um, but yeah because I'm um, I think really inspired by this um, the, the way nature can be artificial in cities and the way that it used to be really like a common place where people could go to and you could collect your herbs or your wood or your stuff and then during history it sort of completely changed um, at least in the western part of Europe it's a sort of got a different meaning because then you had cities and most of the nature in cities was artificial it was made there it was planned and then during the uh, during the lockdown in April um, I was walking a lot in the Parc de Duden and Parc de Forêt because I live in Forêt and then I noticed that I was so incredibly privileged to be able to walk around in these parks and have some nature like that was near to me some green that was near to me like and at the same moment there were like these children in Anderlecht or in Molenbeek and they only had like these concrete fields and then when they were sitting on it they would get like fines from the from the policeman over there and I don't know it struck me that it was such a big difference and it was so unequal and it was was not right so well I really want to focus more on like how nature in cities can also entail inequality social inequality mm. and then again I can go come back to like the digitalness of stuff and on the other hand uh, natural organic side of stuff so I think the, the new project that I'm working on it's like for now it's called home but it maybe will get a different title but it has to do with this nature with these parks and then also um, yeah where to start I was really interested in like um, the language because like nature it can be like this place where you feel at home language about we use to describe nature or talk about nature or what kind of language um, actually like just in the word of uh, of home of house I was always really interested that um, how you like in German you have like the word for houses like Heim or Heimat but then at the same time you have the word uh, Unheimlich and it's really struck me because you have Unheimlich but you also have Heim in the word of Unheimlich which is like this ambigu ambiguity between being at home, being at ease, feeling good and at the same time something really scary and frightening and something that is yeah, not so nice. And then I was reading this book about um, the way we uh, use words to describe the, the concept of home and house from the Middle Ages until now. And then yet just yesterday I read that like the first word that was used for home was is the word uh, whole like a hole, um, you can climb into it, like you're in nature and you're, you need to protect yourself from wild beasts that are attacking you or other people that are attacking you, then the first thing, like prehistorically speaking, that people did was find shelter in like this hole, because in this hole you can be, have a bit of safeness. But then the word for hell is actually, it comes from the same word because in a hole you can be hidden, but then hell is like a hidden world, the underworld. So also here there's like this ambiguity between something really comforting something where you really feel at home and something that's really frightening and not a safe space at all and now when I'm saying this out loud that's actually also in void that you have like this sort of dystopic aspect but also the aspect of being really at ease so voila now I'm working around this concept of home and in this concept I'm also trying to connect nature and artificial nature 
towards it and see where we will end up. I think we did not mention this actually uh, in the beginning of the uh, interview. Uh, the, the term void was the title of your previous project we, uh, we spoke about. Mm -hmm. Is this something you do very often that you use a concept to sort of I don't know, as a, as a um, sort of a way of combining things that are maybe not so, not from the start at least. I can imagine you are, you're working right now on a new project and I see a lot of different um, kind of material, um, photos we, uh, we could talk about. Uh, there is a, a branch, there is a, hmm. a piece of, uh, it seems to be tissue or something. Um, so is that something you do, like use concept to combine stuff, even though you're maybe not sure what the combination, mm -hmm. or what their sort of link is? Yeah, I think it's correct what you're saying, because um, in the beginning, I tend to gather like a lot of knowledge and information and materials. And, and the only thing that connects them in the beginning is like the way that I look at it and the way that I perceive them. But then these words, these concepts can really like bring all of them together and I think in void I ended up with like six or five or six elements that made the installation and now for like the new project for home um, <laughs> now I have like a lot of different stuff but I'm guessing in the end it will also be like something really thought out and something really balanced um, but yeah the concept the word is like I think um, how do you say it like the whole vast it's like the backbone, like something I need to connect all the other things onto. It is quite fascinating because uh, we were talking about the witch circle at the beginning of this part. And uh, I wasn't expecting you to say this is connected to a notion of home mm. and so on. But on the other way, if you, if you, on the other hand, if you, if you start with that idea of home and then you have certain things like nature or artificial nature, which is actually parts that were already quite present in, in the void installation. Mm. Um, I think in, yeah, a lot of things open up mm -hmm. and it's probably the, the biggest work for you is probably to get them back together. Because <laughs> <That's true>. uh, <laughs> I, measure, I don't even remember if it was in Germany or Belgium, I think in Germany that they are discussing or already did to prohibit stone gardens mm. because they are so unecological but people like stone yeah, gardens. Ah, that like is just like yeah, oh like yeah. if you're very sophisticated, you can uh, excuse it by saying uh, it's Japanese. But in essentially, <laughs> the people just don't want to take care yeah, of their gardens. So they just put these white things, and you have it in Flanders a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I don't remember if it was Flemish or German, but it doesn't really matter. We have it everywhere. And then I think it's still going on, but for some time you had these, in German, they're called Gabion. I don't even know what they're called. It's like me metal cages. And in these metal cages, you can buy them like this. They're yes. like big boxes, you, you have and you stones. have stones in there. And they're about the ugliest thing that you can have, but you can mm -hmm. make a wall really quickly. And you mm -hmm. have a lot of gardens ah. out of yeah. these. And the funny thing is that your stones look a tiny bit like now that you treated ah. them so grayish. Like the fake. And, nice. Um, so it's, mm. it's really very, very strange what kind of... Well, I think gardens and houses are mixing images of what people believe their idea of home might be exactly. and what gives them comfort as you said mm -hmm. but on the other hand it's also very practical because gabione like a stone garden you don't have to take care of mm -hmm. i mean maybe every mm -hmm. 10 years you take your karcher and just kill yes. everything which is growing inside but uh, for the rest so mm -hmm. it's it's also very comfortable in the sense of 
doesn't make any work. So but it's comfortable, but in the same way, I, I mean, I also thought about this and, and I know that, for instance, like family and, and, and family in law, and like I know that like, I really, I love nature and I love to have like a lot of nature inside my, my home and I don't have a garden, but, but I would love to have a garden. But I do notice that more people have like these practical gardens indeed. Um, and I was really thinking about like, why do you, do you really want this? Do you really think this is, is beautiful? Do you really like it? But then I also think if you have like, I don't know, if you have like a nine to five job, if you have a physical job and you're tired when you come home, then like all the things that you do at home, which you can love, like cooking or taking care of your garden, they just become like tasks that you need to do because you're tired. And then like the, the stone garden starts to make sense. So for me, I don't know, maybe it's also like this working class thing or this, but that's also like the, this inequality in nature. I mean, it's, you have to, if you want to like bake your own bread or take care of your garden, you're most of the time you're like in the higher middle class, you're not in the lower middle class. So also in this, I think there was the sense of inequality. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. there was also a text which uh, you have on your website also, we also stated that uh, originally, originally is not right, but let's say some centuries ago, the nature was mainly used by the poorer people mm. because they just picked uh, the fruit and vegetables and whatever, maybe mm -hmm. also stuff in the, f in the forest like mushrooms and mm. so on. And today in the cities and also in the, in the part around the cities, it's more like indeed people that are so economically well that they can afford on the weekends to go outside to hike, to walk or mm -hmm. whatever. Exactly. So just the opposite. So yeah, it's, it's, and I think sometimes it's something that you don't even know that you would like because you don't have like the, the peace of mind and the rest to like actually enjoy it. It's just like this, this task and yeah, so this I think is also really interesting in nature, like how capitalism is sort of giving it different meanings and yeah. And also I think why, why I like the, the, the like home, like to, to work around this word is like when I read about like the witch circles and the witch hunt and like all these activist says and texts that you can read, you can get quite militant and radical when you read it. But I know what I sometimes forget is that like all this activism that we do and that you do and that I do, you do it just to be at peace. I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself. With yourself, you mean, or with your no, you consciousness? Just, or I, I think you do it because in the end you just want to have like a nice life, an equal life, a life where everybody around you is treated with respect and you are treated with respect and like the fight and the activism that, that you do towards it. Like in the end, you want a safe space. You want like a home for you and for everyone else around you. And I don't know, that's like the main thing, I think, to, found, to, to find like this peace of mind and this and equality. I don't know, sometimes for myself, I tend to forget that that's why you do it. And yeah, so that's why for me, like the witch circle and the witch hunting and nature and the inequality, it's sort of all connected to this concept of home, because that's what you are trying to create, like a nice, comfortable environment for you and for the people around you. Hmm. Would that be something that you would like to have at the end of the interview or <laughs> do you want to add something because I think it's already quite it's long but it's quite <laughs> a statement so because I think you you work uh, I understand what you mean 
and I think it's quite interesting. And on the other hand, I think we touch much more on notions. So if you put it down in some sentences, <laughs> can be too much. I don't know. This is okay. Otherwise, I think for me it's fine to uh, to stop. It's a, it's a beautiful point of uh, stopping the interview, <laughs> and people at home at can home continue can thinking about it. this. <laughs> Thank you very much, Caroline. Yeah, thank uh, the both of you for uh, listening to me and talking and moderating. <laughs> Merci.